Hi, and welcome to Unconditional Love Ministries with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is episode number 34, recorded December 11th, 2012, The Rest of Faith. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith and Unconditional Love Ministries, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org. This audio podcast is sponsored by Liquid Networks and Web Vision Graphics, providing quality, affordable websites and website hosting to your small business, church, ministry, or nonprofit organization. We understand how the web works, so you don't have to. Get your free quote today by visiting www.webvisiongraphics.com. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. I want to talk with you tonight um, about a man of faith. In fact, it probably will be a couple of more weeks I want to look at him. He's a fascinating fellow um, that comes from the pages of the first books of the Bible. And his name was Caleb. And you can find... Uh, the essence of what I'm going to say tonight. It's at the end of chapter 13 of Numbers and then chapter 14 of Numbers. And um, be good if you're interested to read those chapters apart from the verses that I read. Okay, let me just read them and then we'll have them to look at. In chapter... 13 verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of the land, for we will surely overcome it. And um, all his co-scouts said, no, we're not able to go up against the people. They're too strong for us. And they, they go on to give their report of what they've just seen. But then um, in chapter 14, which was the next morning, and Joshua has joined Caleb at this point. And Caleb says, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. The Lord is pleased with us or delights in us. And incidentally, that if is not questioning, uh, it's not a sort of maybe, perhaps he is. It's rather, we would say, seeing as. It's really a strong way of saying he surely does. If the Lord is pleased with us or delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. Their protection has been removed. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the response was to uh, begin a lynch mob. And it says, and they, they pick up stones. They're ready to stone Caleb and Joshua. And so that was the opinion of the people. The people said Caleb and Joshua, but especially Caleb, is fit for stoning. We've got to get rid of him. He's not worthy of being part of our company. But then... Uh, the Lord speaks concerning Caleb. He's one of those people in the scripture where the Lord gives a character reference. And that's in verse 24 of the same chapter. And the Lord says of Caleb, remember they, the people, have picked up stones to stone him. But now the Lord says, my servant Caleb, 
he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Okay, there's there's more than what I'm going to say tonight. We'll get to that later. Uh, but I want to look at this fellow Caleb. Fascinating, I say again, fascinating fellow. I- interestingly, the word Caleb, um, it, it's, it almost shapes his life. Um, I think I've told you before that in Bible days, especially Old Testament, the name that was given to a child was given in a sense of prophecy. They, they gave the name, and of course in the Hebrew language, these names that we read that are one sound to us in the Hebrew language are little sentences. And the sentences would define these children. Uh, and, and so they grew up with, with a name that determined, defined who they were in their walk with God. And, and this word, Caleb, um, it, it's, it's a word, you can give it more than one meaning. A- actually, they use this word for dog. Yes, dog, four-legged fluffy thing, dog. A- and I believe it's because we think of dog as faithful. A- and the, the word Caleb that was used to describe dog also means firmly bound to. It, it would be when persons have entered into a committed partnership. Uh, it, it would be used of covenant people, two who are firmly bound one to another. And again, the idea of a faithful friend dog comes to mind. And it means then capable and determined. Here's a person who is committed, is faithfully bound, and is determined to carry through commitment to the end. Well, that, that was his name. That's the name his parents gave him. And by the time we meet him, when he was around 40, maybe 35, 40 years old, uh, is, is the chap that we just read about. And by this time, he has grown into his name. And I'll say no more about that. Uh, it would take the hours that I've taken in the past to say any more. But he, here is the man... And he, he, he's a man that stands out as a man of faith. And we're going to talk a lot about what that means. A man of faith, and he stands as a man of faith in a culture of unbelief. All of these people would name the name of the Lord and they could vaguely name Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers, but they were not people of faith. They were people, essentially, of unbelief. And so here stands a man. The, the only associates he might have would be uh, Joshua, though, though Joshua, who's a, about the same age, um, they'd come out of Egypt together, But Joshua was not as bold as Caleb. Uh, We're going to find in in a moment that it took Joshua to wrestle all night before he could take a public stand with Caleb. Um, 
Of course, then there was Moses, but Moses would not be around Caleb, at least up until now. And so he's alone. He stands alone as a man of faith. I say again, in a culture, a people uh, where unbelief was normal and to be accepted. And in this story, he rises to his fame in God because he stands, first of all, absolutely alone along with Moses, uh, but he stands alone among the people. That's one man against around three million. And the next morning, he's joined by Joshua, but, but alone. But his faith is unwavering. Marvelous fellow. Okay, where, where are they when all this happened? They're standing at a place called Kadesh Barnea, which is the extreme southern portion of what is now Israel. It's where the, the desert comes right up to the border of Canaan. And you, it's the border, border post, Kadesh. And the, the, this enormous tribe, people, the Israelites, they, they've now moved from Mount Sinai, where they'd received the Ten Commandments and the law. And they now come to Kadesh. And right smack ahead of them is the land of Canaan. Behind them is the desert and Sinai. And of course, beyond Sinai, they have come out of Egypt with the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. And then they had gone through a wilderness to Sinai. Now they have come to the borders of the land of Canaan. Five hundred years before this, the Lord had promised this land of Canaan to Abraham and to his descendants. And not merely, shall I say, just a a word of promise, so that if God is speaking, that's enough. But he had accompanied his word of promise with a covenant oath. Now, this is something that especially the book of Hebrews uh, makes a lot of, but to to a person living in the days of the scripture, uh, especially the Old Testament, they would understand the enormity of the Lord making a covenant oath. When, when one makes a covenant oath, one raises one's hand and swears by God that he will keep the terms of the covenant and that that oath is in terms of life and death, that, that I will keep this covenant even unto death. If it kills me, I'll keep it. On the other hand, that oath says, if I don't keep it, if I run away from keeping it, then may God himself intervene and strike me dead. Awful, solemn words. And and with that, there was the shedding of blood to to back that up. I will keep this by my life, by by the shedding, pouring out of my life. Well, that's when humans made covenant. When God makes covenant, what is he doing? He is saying that if he doesn't keep this word that he has spoken, this covenant word, 
then God himself will cease to be. I mean, that is beyond words. It's beyond explanation that God swore upon the life of God and said that he would keep his word even unto death. And of course, that is exactly what happened when God became flesh in order that he might die and shed his blood and the blood of Jesus is called the blood of the everlasting covenant. Um, so so th- th- this is not just a, a whim on the wind. This is not just something that has been talked around campfires. The, 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 this is a covenant oath that God himself, swearing by himself, said that he gives this land to the people. It was the reason for leaving Egypt that they would leave their slavery and they would come to the land of promise, covenant promise. And so every step they took away from Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness to Sinai, and from Sinai now, this, this moment is, this is what they've been waiting for ahead of them. I mean, it's in sight. They're on the border. This is their God-given home that they have, of course, never been on the inside of it. All of these people had been born as slaves. They've been free for coming on a year now. But this, this that they're looking at was their, their home where they would raise a family it, it, without fear, raise a family without the whip of the taskmaster across their back. Here, they would plant their crops They would have their farms here. They would just be like normal human free beings facing the challenges, facing the opportunities of life. And to do so, hear me carefully, this is an essential part of all of this, that that all of that, the going into the land, the raising of family and being a, a free person to work and to live and to face the challenges of life, they would do all of that in faith. Faith in the God who had made covenant. That's what this story is all about. God made a covenant promise. They respond to that. They, they've come to take what God had promised, and having taken it, they would live there, and they would live there by faith in this God who loved them and gave himself to them. And so they would live in that land. In, in, they would be aligned with God's covenant word, aligned to his promise. And part of that covenant that had already um, being given to them at Sinai, it will be expanded on in a, in a while, but it was the blessing that they would live there clothed in God's blessing, which translates in the New Testament to the divine strength and ability and fruitfulness and life of God that, that fills us and surrounds us in the Holy Spirit. And so, they, they would be just regular farmers. They'd raise their sheep and their cattle and they'd plant and they'd harvest and it'd just be life. But they would be blessed in all that they touched. 
blessed and is such that they would be witnesses to the world of the one true God and his love purposes for all mankind, for all roads from the farthest points of the world, from Europe in the north, uh, the Silk Road that led back to China, and up and down from Egypt, it all came through Canaan. And so living there, living by faith in this incredible love, God of covenant, they would witness to the passing world and what the passing world of traders saw as they went through Canaan, they would carry it to the world. That was the plan. That was the plan. Because it was uh, the be- actually the beginning of a vast plan. For th- this was a tiny picture of what Jesus was coming to do to bring us, you and I, to our true home in the heart of the Father. Jesus embracing us, and in embracing us, bringing us to the embrace of the Father, and to realize that in the embrace of the Holy Spirit, home, and that wherever we were in the world, doing whatever we were doing, we would be in this true and ultimate Canaan, awaiting the ultimate fulfillment, not in a land, a strip of land on the Mediterranean, but a new heaven and a new earth. But anyway, back to today, because there is connection between what happened here, what has happened to us, and where we are. All the principles of this story are true for us today. How? Oh, that's the question. How do we live a life of faith as we're in the world and the world is watching and our lives to be the witness, to be the declaration of who God is? Okay, go go back to Egypt Let's let's see what, what what who are these people, the Israelites at this point? I mean, actually, there's still really a mob of ex-slaves. They they haven't got used to freedom. They really don't know what freedom is. Not really, and they do not have a strong faith. Actually, as I've said, is more unbelief. They, they, they've heard it's been passed on from generation to generation concerning Abraham and the promise. But, you know, that, that was very vague. It was very, what shall I say, ethereal, just passed on, told from father to son to son to, and so on. But they, they hadn't got it when they come out of Egypt, where it began with the plagues and the Passover and the Red Sea, it all centered on Moses. And so what emerges here, and is witnessed to in Scripture, these people were sort of, what can I say, they were dumbfounded, they were wide-eyed, 
that they were watchers of God, a God they weren't really too sure what he was like and what he was about, but they were dumbfounded. I mean, when the plagues which toppled Egypt, that brought Pharaoh to his knees, what, what, what could they say? There was no doubt this God that Moses spoke of, that they vaguely knew was the God who had given himself to them, but they were, as I say, wide-eyed, mouth open. They, they, they never comprehended that he was a God like this who would perform miracles on their behalf like this. And, of course, as far as they were concerned, really and truly, it all happened because of Moses. Moses' faith, Moses' word, Moses' authority. It was So there's this God that, that they're watching. They're watching him in his actions, in his miraculous workings, very much like a child watches parent and half the time don't realize, don't know how the parent can do what they do, but just watching. And then you could say that God was unpredictable. You know, yeah, I mean, he turned the Nile into blood and there was the frog thing and the fly thing and Egypt toppled piece by piece until we all went out in the Passover. But I, I, I really don't know why and he did it when he did it. It was sort of, what can I say, almost like winning the lottery. I, you know, you did, but there's no formula. And, and, and so God did this, God did that, God did this, God did that. And it, whoa, but we don't know why, but he did it. And, and Moses was involved in, in that. And of course, well, Moses is special. Moses is, well, Moses is Moses. Moses is half God. Mo Moses can say the word. And, and so that they, they've got this God that is very unpredictable. I mean, he does these fantastic things, but we don't know why. And Moses, who does seem to know why, but, well, he's not a regular human being, is he? I mean, he's at least 10 feet above us. And so they followed. And so they were. And I don't know if you recognize it. I've been quoting from a verse in the Psalms where it says that Israel, they beheld the actions of God. But Moses knew the ways of God. For the fact is, Moses was no different to them. Any more than Moses was no different to you and I. Moses was a human being, but it said he knew the ways of God. The ways of God. The people didn't. They, they saw what God did, but they didn't know the ways of God. He didn't know the why behind it. They didn't know that God did those things not on a whim. It wasn't some divine cosmic lottery. It was the fulfilling of the covenant promise. That's God's ways, ways. The word ways, like pathways. It, it, it's a trodden path. Well, that way, that path, that road upon which the Lord walks with human, 
is the covenant where he, by his initiative, has joined with us and joined into us so that in us and through us he will bring his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we, in that union, we respond to him by faith. And so, no, he's not unpredictable at all. He is as sure and as true as every word he's spoken. And Moses is not a superman, a half-god. He's a regular human being, actually a very flawed human being, if you know the whole of his life. But he was a person who responded to that covenant God by faith. See, sin, sin, uh, without talking awful lot about it, but, but sin is human independence. It's that proud, phony self thinking that I must do and I must take the initiative to make God do what he says and to achieve the bringing to pass of his promise and and do so by my sweat, by my labor of what I do. And when it happens, I can say I did it. God had to do what I I said. The, The scripture says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Uh, That's quite a mouthful there in Romans. Whatever is not of faith is sin. If we're trying to make it happen, if we're trying to somehow do something, say something to twist God's arm to make him act, we've missed it. That's not faith. That's the essence of works. Well, these people, it's about time they grow up. They've been watching what God does. They've been hearing Moses live, act, along with God in partnership with this one by faith. Now at Kadesh, well, now we've all got to begin to grow up and to realize that this Lord God is not just Moses' God. He is their God. They are included in the covenant. And they now have come to the moment where they are going to be defined as a people. They've got to get out of their diapers. They've got to get out of being looked after by Moses. This is a formative moment when they are going to take hold of God's word that he has given to them, and they, each one of them as an individual, is going to act in faith, faith in the covenant God. It's going to happen here, because they have got to go into this land and take it. They're going to grow Growth is a very uncomfortable change. And some people really don't achieve it in their true inner self. They they die 
as babies, even though their body has grown to old age, but they, their essential self, has never grown very much at all. Uh, Growth is, is, I say again, it's uncomfortable. Or to put it another way, growth means moving out of the comfort zone. Moving out of the comfort zone where we're dependent upon everybody else to do it for us. Where where there is no change, no moving out of the comfort zone, there is no life. You see, life, God life that we're talking about, is ever-expanding. And it's ever-expanding to where we have never gone before. And if there is no such expansion, I say again, there is no life. God is ever working in us. The Holy Spirit is working in us to will and to do of the good pleasure of God, which is to bring us outside of our limitations, to bring our faith where it's never been before, to realize and act out His potential in us. I say again, that's scary. You're going where you've never been before. You're going into the unknown. And flesh always wants comfort zone. Look, the caterpillar. Just leave me alone hanging on a leaf where I'm surrounded by all the food I need. Please, just leave me alone. I'm comfortable instead. The caterpillar has to go through the anguish of the cocoon and getting out of the cocoon to discover he has grown into a butterfly. Undreamed potential. But it's scary. That's what's happening here. They are moving from being ex-slaves to being men of faith in a covenant Lord. Well, the first step, they send in 12 scouts. Um... That they were chosen, they were sort of the, they were almost Navy SEALs. I, I mean, they, these were men that could go into that land and for six weeks they would essentially be alone, spying out the land, working strategy, and 12, each tribe has sent in their man. And so the 12... They go into this land of 500-year promise. They put their feet on the ground that Abraham had trod when God gave him the promise. And they're excited. Oh, yes, I mean, they've been living for this. Yeah, we're excited. And then as they get further into the land, not too much further, But they find that this land is filled with the most awful people. They're called the Anakim. Um, They they show up. They they were, well, I I was going to say they're giants. That's true. Um, They were gigantic, uh, around nine feet tall. Goliath was of this bunch. and this isn't this isn't a fairy story. Um, there are such people in the world today. Um, 
There just happened to be a whole tribe of them, and especially right in the southern area, which meant you had to go through them to get to the rest. But these people are always portrayed in Scripture, the little that we know about them, but they they were demonized. There's always the presence of, the palpable presence of evil and darkness. They were demonized warriors. Their their cities matched their size. And so these enormous cities with these vast doors and, and, and their chariots and everything about them. I mean, get the picture as you see these great, big hulks of human tattooed all over and and you you saw along the highways their grotesque idols that they worshipped and as the scouts went in all of their know-how and that was very limited to begin with after you've been a slave all your life, but their their limited know-how of what to do in this situation just drained out of them. There's any sense of strength and ability collapsed. They were terrified. This was a living nightmare. And they hid at the very sight of these persons, lest they should be squashed. That was their feeling anyway, and they they managed to do the whole land. They go right up to the north to the borders of Lebanon and Syria, but uh, they were terrified. They, they, They came back, and they carried with them some of the fruit of the land, which it was indeed everything God had promised, a land flowing with milk and honey, and even the grapes were the size of their fists, uh, and But they were angry. You call this a promise? You said we could have the land? This is what we've been waiting for? This is a, it's like walking into an alligator's mouth. This is ridiculous. They're angry. Call this a promise? You call this a gift? We'll be decimated. We'll be wiped out, annihilated. At the same time, they're ashamed of their own weakness which always feeds into the anger. And on top of it, layer upon layer was fear, terror, panic. Six weeks they'd been away, and in those six weeks the people had their excitement building, 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 and it only took, what, an hour after these chaps were back, and they had told their story, which was now exaggerated by time. And the Anakim in their lips now were much bigger than they'd seen, of course. And the terror spread like a plague through the people. And as the night approaches, they're howling and they're weeping as only Mideasterners can do. They caught the fear like a virus. And it had rapidly taken over their whole being, their whole camp. And, and, and they're saying, let's go back to Egypt. And be careful if you criticize them. This is, this is typical of human. Let's go back to Egypt. And as they remember their slave days, a year ago, they said it was such good food. Oh, such good food. I don't know what we're doing out here in the wilderness. We had shelter in Egypt. We were safe. 
It might have been slavery, but it was a comfort zone. It was safe. We knew the sun would rise tomorrow morning. Forget this freedom business. And out of the twelve bearers of terror, Caleb stood and began to quieten down the mob, even though it was only for a moment. And essentially what he was saying, you have left God out of the equation. And he gave a synopsis of what I've been saying in the last half an hour. This, he, he takes pleasure in you. The, the Lord loves you. He delights in you. He made promise and confirmed it with an oath. And these people in there are demonized. They've sold themselves to Satan. And they have no divine protection. There's no more discussion, guys. Let's move in and receive the gift and the promise that he in covenant has given to us. And the response of the people, as I said earlier, was a lynch mob. And they pick up their stones and they say, such an idiot who speaks such words is fit for death so we can get on and go back to Egypt. Moses prayed, and in that prayer, interaction between Moses and the Lord, that's when the Lord gave his character reference of Caleb, which he's beginning to emerge as the old dog, the old faithful dog who just wouldn't Stop following after the Lord. And the first thing the Lord said about Caleb in our Bibles, it says, he's of a different spirit. Of all this multitude of people that I have brought out of Egypt, Caleb, he's of a different spirit. He's other than all the other people. He's different. He's he's coming from another dimension. He's he's not running with the herd. Just because three million people are thinking one way, that doesn't affect Caleb. He still stands upon the word of the covenant God. He has a different spirit. Or as the New Testament is don't going to describe you and I, we are in the world, but we're not of it. We're in the world, but we're not running with the herd. We've heard another voice. And we trust that voice, even though the herd of the world is running this way, we are walking that way, because the voice of the God who cannot lie. Or as Peter called us, we are strangers in the world. We are pilgrims walking through it. Here stands the man of faith in the midst of a mob of despair and fear, unbelief. His his faith energizes him 
and draws him to the promise, to receive the promise, while their fear is driving them blindly away from the promise into a wilderness of death. Maybe we can understand the difference. It says he's of a different spirit. Maybe we could go just a layer underneath the word to understand it better. The Hebrew word, and if you're new to our conversations here, um, I, I, I'm fascinated by words, especially Hebrew words, because they were very picturesque. And many times the picture in the word tells a big story. And this word different, it, it, if you just translated literally what it means, it's after spirit. Yeah, you heard me. After, we, we say it's of a different spirit. And that, let me assure you, is a good enough translation. He was of a different spirit. But the exact word, which doesn't make sense in English if you just translate it literally, after spirit, the after spirit. What on earth does that mean? Well, after, or almost behind, it's... You could say it's the second thought. It's the after thought. It's, it's the, the think again. You see, that really is, is, I could say, the secret of faith, if, if we're talking secret. Uh, you see, the first look, when, whenever you and I look at a situation, our first look, we do so with flesh eyes, and we do so with a flesh brain, and all of that just simply registers what we can see and what we can hear. It's first look. Unbelief is running with the first look. Faith is the second look. And I I say not only to explain, but maybe to encourage. You might look at a situation and your first look produces fear. Your first look and you realize, I can't. Your first look says you're not able. You're not adequate. It's impossible. All those words belong to the first look. That's what eyes can see. That's what ears can hear. That's what brain can uh, think on. Um, It's the second look. When you take a step back and say, let's look at this in the light of final and absolute truth. Let's look at this from inside of the God who has made covenant. And it's that second look, that after look, while all the others are rushing on from behind, you, you've, hold it, hold it, hold it. That, that's not all. Well, yeah, that may be true, but the truth is, and here comes faith. Faith. It's when I weigh the matter, when I weigh it, and, and I say, no, that, that, that's not all the truth. This is, this is the truth. And, and what does that look like it says that he 
what how do we put it here in our bibles is of a different spirit and has followed me fully which again um that's fine followed me fully you could say and some translations put it he's pursued after me with passion and that that's that's fine if if you are a hunter and you are following the prey and you're not going to be put off. You're not going to turn back because it's getting late and you're tired. No, no, you are going to pursue to the end. Okay, that's that's it. Um, if you are a treasure hunter, I remember I was in far north of Alaska and there was a young couple. I'm sure they were in their mid-30s a man and his wife, and they had literally, with, with spade and bucket, they had moved, yes, they had moved a small mountain. They'd moved it, <laughs> dug with spade and bucket, and moved a little mountain because they believed there was gold in there. And they'd been at this task, I don't know how many months, probably nearly two years. And day after day after day with spade, they moved a little mountain because they believed there was gold. Now, that is this word. I mean, it's to pursue after with passion. But again, take a second look <laughs> At this word, follow, follow, in, in the Hebrew language, it has in it the idea of fulfill, fulfill, or to complete, or to go the course. So we would use this word, as indeed it was used, um, to describe a nine-month pregnancy. It, it was that was fulfilled you you had followed this thing through to the end you had completed the course you 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 now shall be delivered of the child because it's it's the time it's complete it's done it's been fulfilled to the full if you're a runner this word would be used to cross the the tape at the end of a marathon. You didn't give up at 20 miles. You went on to fulfill, to complete, to follow fully to the end. That's the idea. And so he, here's Caleb. I, I see his name all the more. Uh, Depend dependable this man like a dog is faithful and so he's the one who has the after spirit the second look who doesn't run with the hurt who chooses against all evidence of the senses to put his trust in the lord and the lord says of him he's followed me fully he has completed well, what is it if you're following the Lord? You're following the God of covenant. You're fully following. How do you complete the circle? 
Or how do you walk by this faith which is complete? How do you complete this? You see, some, some of our, our friends um, would say, they give you a whole jolly list of things that you've got to do this and do that and do the other and, and, and struggle and try and dedicate and dedicate your dedications, you know, and on and on it goes. You've got to be, be true to the end, follow, follow, and you can see the sweat breaking out on their religious brows. No, how, how do I... How do I, how do you fulfill? How do we complete? How do we bring to full term our relationship with God? Well, Abraham, who is called the father of faith, has already shown us. And there's no difference from beginning to end of the Bible. There's only one way of faith. Abraham, right? He received the word, a word, you see Genesis 15 um, and, and thereafter, but Genesis 15 is the key because that's when he received the promise of this land that this story is all about. It took 500 years from when God gave the promise to Abraham for the people to be standing there ready to go in. And when God gave the promise a promise that was of the land to go into and also of a child to produce the multitude who would be ready to go in. And all you could say was impossible, impossible, impossible. And the Lord gave his word, and it's in Genesis 15, he makes the covenant, and of Abraham it says, this is it, this is it. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. That word believed in the Hebrew language is a word that we use in English because we, we don't bother to translate it. It's amen. Amen. You heard me. When Abraham believed God in the language Abraham spoke, it was he said amen to God. God said, this is what I will do. This is my promise. This I seal with covenant. Abraham said, so be it, which is the meaning of amen. So be it. Yes. You said it. You will do it. Amen. And it was counted to him for righteousness. And righteousness means that you are walking in a harmonious step with a covenant partner, that you are seeing eye to eye, face to face. In this covenant, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit does it all. And we, our part that completes and runs the course, is to say, Amen. So be it. Which I have used before forgive me but there's no better because the virgin mary stands as the first christian and maybe we could also say as the highest pinnacle of faith for she received the word which is tied in actually with all that we're talking about but she received the word that she would be the virgin mother of the one who is god how 
talk about impossible. And, and, and her response was, how, how can this be? And the response was, in our English version, it says, with God, all things are possible. But a much better translation would be that no spoken word from God is void of power. That is, whatever God says, he is all powerful to do it. Her response, so perfect, she said then, be it unto me according to your word. You get it? God spoke. He said when he spoke that every word he said was filled with the power to make it happen. Her response essentially was, Amen. So be it unto me in line with what you've said. And in that, that was faith that laid hold upon God's word. And it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Mary. And the incarnation took place. That's faith. That's faith. He has spoken. We take the look, which is from that position of inside of God. My Father, who has made himself known in the Son, Jesus, who is realizing that in me now through the Holy Spirit. And I say, Amen. Be it to me according to your word. I don't see how it could be. It's got impossible written all over it. But I trust in you and not in what my eyes see. You, you could say that God's covenant word becomes the stained glass through which we look at life. If, if you have a stained glass window where the glass is red and you look out, everything outside looks red. Because you're looking through a stained glass and everything takes on the hues of the stained glass. You and I, inside of Jesus, inside of the Father, realized in us by the Holy Spirit and we look out at life and we do not see what others see. We see all of life through the promise, the purpose, the love, and the resurrection that took place in Jesus. And every word from God is full of his power. So, if I look at this situation with that second look, if I look at it from fully following in the covenant God, I see Anakim. I see the Anak. I see the footprints of the giant. I see the size of their cities. But with one look, I can see them and see beyond above. There's the God who made promise. And suddenly the giant is reduced to size. And suddenly the cities come much smaller. And I am now towering over them, for I am in God and he is in me. 
It's faith. It's faith, you see. It's faith. And, and, and what was it say? Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The, the pure in heart. It, it means you don't see double. You don't see Anak and God. That's seeing double. You see, Anak, God. Anak, God. I look at Anak, and I'm terrified. I look at God, and I pray, oh, please help me. I look at Anak, I'm terrified. I look at God, help me. That's double-minded, from which we get the word doubt. Doubt is looking here, looking there, looking here, looking there. The pure in heart see God. That is, you see Anak, and you see God, and you see that he has made covenant promise. End of discussion. Let's go on our way. Well, I, I, I think you've got enough to think at. Um, we, we are. We stand in a culture of unbelief. I don't need to comment on that. But the promises of God are vast. And they are sealed by the covenant blood of Jesus. And they apply to us as we work in our little businesses, in our homes, and the challenges and the opportunities of life, wherever we find ourselves. That's our inheritance, to live our lives in Christ and Christ in us. Learn to walk in the faith that says the Amen, be it unto me, according to your word. We don't run with the herd. We stand sometimes very alone. And sometimes they're picking up stones because a culture of unbelief despises the person of faith. But as they pick up stones, we hear God saying, Jack and John and Yvonne and Joanna, they are not like the others, they are of a different spirit. They take the after look, the second look, and they have completed the term. They have fulfilled with the simple, be it unto me, according to your word. May the Holy Spirit open your eyes to see this. It's so simple, but it can bring to you the rest of God. In fact, I've got two seconds. Let, let me read to you. Hebrews chapter 4 is about what we've just been reading. I'll get to this in a few weeks, but it's worth, worth talking about it right now. It says, I mean, Hebrews chapter 4, that's written New Testament, but he's making a commentary on Numbers 13 and 14. Therefore, he said, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest. Let's fear that any one of you may seem to come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us. I just have. Just as they, they being these people who were going to stone Caleb. That's who he's talking about. Just as they also. But the word they, these people in numbers, the word that they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed or said the amen 
and keep saying the amen day after day, enter that rest. May he bring you to rest. Live your whole Christian life saying amen. Be it unto me according to your word. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit rest upon you infuse your being, your life, your family, that you may know the peace of God that passes all human understanding and rest in your faith in him. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is. Amen.